<coughs> the metaphor that I'm using to try to direct our attention to a particular aspect of consciousness is uh, but the butter knife uh, is a, a knife that we used more often back in the last century. Uh, a knife that doesn't have really have much of a blade to it, called a butter knife. You can't cut much. You're lucky to cut butter. Uh, and then versus the razor's edge. And of course, we're using those metaphors to, uh, and as the way consciousness works. If you're if you're using a butter knife, you're not going to be able to cut very well, very cleanly, and very clearly and sharply. Again, these are images and metaphors that work a little bit. And so I would use and add another one. I would say the butter knife, the razor, and then going from there to the the sword of Prajna or the double-edged sword, the sword that cuts through this and that. It cuts through this and that. So it cuts through our apprehension, our attachment to, and our belief in duality. Two things, thinking there's more than this. So using that image, the way I would say, the way I'm going to say uh, now is that we, in our, in our hurry, in our anxiousness, in our desire to go out and do this or do that or collect this or collect that or push this down and control this or that based on our preconceptions, our opinions, our ideas and our beliefs, we, it's more like using a, trying to do things with a, a dull blade, a butter knife. It's not that you can't cut things, you can. And since you don't know what it's like to see clearly, to cut clearly, you may think this will, this is good enough, and you just put more force behind it, or you put more uh, energy. Again, it's a metaphor and may work well. Hopefully, it'll give you a little bit of idea, a little bit of an idea of what I'm referring to. Um, so, whereas the, the razor, or the razor's edge, or the sharp blade, is uh, something where the idea there is to encourage us to train the mind to sharpen this blade of awareness, sit down and sharpen the awareness before we uh, get up and go into uh, what we call post-meditation or after the awareness practice to go into our everyday life where it's like, you know, sometimes wading through scrambled eggs can be very confusing. And especially confusing if you're, you have this butter knife kind of quality happening where you're trying to see clearly, but we kind of give in, and what we do is we end up going to our concepts about things, or we go to judgment about it based on not being able to see so clearly. So the basic, uh, as I said, the metaphor is imperfect when you try to extend it out a little bit. It doesn't uh, pick up other uh, uh, attendant metaphors to help us go further, maybe a little bit. But I think the important thing is to think of the awareness as, as like a blade that cuts, cuts through this and that. Uh, it, it goes into the situation deeply and actually leaves the, the conceptual grasping and uh, attachment and belief and opinions uh, behind. It doesn't get rid of them necessarily. It just puts them in a different perspective and puts them, as I sometimes say, at the back of the bus or in the back seat. Or it's, Those concepts aren't necessarily driving us. When concepts are driving us around, even if they're really wonderful concepts about uh, we're all one, or everything, uh, everyone should, uh, there should be equality, or there should be this or that. When those are clouded, or when those are unclear, or those have not been uh, cut into with a sharp blade of awareness, uh, we tend to uh, 
pick sides. We be, uh, we tend to have things show up. We send, tend to settle for uh, ideas that will help support us so that we don't have to look at how unclear we are, unsharp we are. One of them is nationalism, patriotism. Uh, any kind of re religious attachment can be doing that, including Buddhism. It can happen here in, in our uh, particular approach. So, <clears throat> so again, it's a way of talking about it. That's why this is difficult to discuss, teach, talk about. It's difficult to teach even if you have some if you spent if you have spent some time and you really are beginning to have an understanding of how this works to try to bring that into words to go back into the concepts that you've been starting to live out in front of it's difficult uh, i feel that this is why some of the teachers in ancient times would teach through uh, example uh, through just various odds and ends ways of, of kind of getting encouraging one's consciousness to to fall out or leap out in front of the conceptual grasping, the, the conceptual uh, framework into uh, a clear understanding of what this is. Um, the, the teacher, the, the uh, scholar monk uh, Vasubandhu was very good in his, uh, all of his writing, but his 30 verses was, was a very good way to, to say in a conceptual way that, that uh, unless, until, unless and until the, the, the awareness of the consciousness of that leading edge, if it's in fact leading, is if it is not situated, if it is not resting in this moment, which we call perception only, but is resting in some kind of other structure or concept or belief, even if it's relatively true, that's why it's so difficult. Even if you could have relative, you could take it to court and say, well, this is, should be happening this way. That uh, the concept would be unless... Uh, a lesson until awareness is resting in or situated in perception only. The twofold grasping will not cease to operate. So the twofold grasping is belief in, a, in an other and belief in a self who is perceiving, viewing, or manipulating, or likes or doesn't like, or ignores the other. It's very simple and it's conceptual. But as soon as you hear that, then you actually have to start uh, practicing it. Then you, then you have to, if you want to go deeply into it, so this is what the blade is about. Get sharpen the blade. You are not going to be able to think your way into this. And he even mentions in there, in one of the verses, I can't remember which number it was, and I can't even quote it. But he basically says, if you just think about this and you think you've got it because you understand it intellectually, that's still not it. So I would like to say it this way. Until you don't know what you're doing. As long as you know what you're doing. If you, if you know, I know what I'm doing. I understand this. Uh, this is uh, incorrect. This is what he's referring to. If you think you understand this, you don't, because you're still operating in the milieu of concepts. It's when you actually start, your consciousness actually starts to show up in perception only, consciousness only, and that that has no, uh, there's no credentials there. This Buddha Dharma, awakened truth without credentials. You're actually living in a, in a, a dimension or a realm uh, that, that doesn't really have a past and a future. We're not saying there isn't a quality of pastness or futureness. Of course there is. But where you are is for always here. Should I yell at? I could. I would if I thought it would encourage you. But it's we're always here. It's never yesterday. It's never tomorrow. Those are 
uh, two of the things that are connected with the uh, physicality of things that arise and decay, arise and decay. So it's not that that isn't happening, but it's, a, it's quite a secondary, if not tertiary, uh, consideration. <clears throat> Can practice ever be more than a relative approach? Uh, we have to start with it being relative. So we start out, we were suffering, we want to know what to do, so we, we stumble into the teachings, we see that what's happening, we see that we need to, might need to be, become a student, find someone who seems to understand. So there's a very relative kind of situation, it's called the provisional teachings. Um, the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the Twelve Links, and so on. Uh, the Six Realms, the Three Realms, all the other uh, various kinds of conceptual constructs that help us do this conceptually, and then, then, and then coming into a place, a relative situation where we come in and we sit down and we and we practice, uh, not really leaving anything, but we practice reprioritizing our our consciousness, our awareness. We practice seeing. We we practice receiving, and where do we start with our own junk. Because that's as soon as you sit down and hold still, that's what you immediately see. Right? You see this, and there's that old tattered thing. And here's this rough and ready with claws and teeth coming at you. And, and I would say, insofar as you can, you can't always do it. Sometimes you have to be the one who decides, I, I've sat here for 15 minutes, that's enough. I'm leaving. But do it out of your awareness rather than out of your right and wrong mentality. Don't justify it. I would rather see you break the law then follow the law. Do you understand me? Do you understand? You're not, of course I'm not. You're not going to go out and break some uh, really important social or cultural convention. I'm just saying I would rather see you cut through the form so you can see more clearly what that form is about. This is why I don't have uh, tell people to, as was done to me and done in past times and other lineages and places where you correct people. I'm very careful about correcting anyone. You don't know where they're at in their process of deepening their awareness about what form is about, about what the what the structures are about, what what this whole situation is about. So observe, see them, but don't necessarily jump on some kind of a position on it. Yes. Does practicing something ever become the actuality? Like yeah. if we practice receiving, will it become receiving? Yeah. Eventually, there's no practice. There's no Buddhism. There's no form. There isn't anything. It's called emptiness. We need to teach it, so that's what we. But it's not an emptiness of absence. It's and it's full of itself. And, and you're here. We're all here. You've been here before you were born. You were here. You actually probably just came back here so you could get another dose of this uh, of this uh, staying after school and writing. I will not be crazy on the bulletin board fifteen million times. Please, when we're practicing something like receiving or observing. Um, it seems like we can also take the mentality of getting better. So we actually think yeah. that the relative situation is what we're trying to perfect. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Um, where does the transformation occur? From? Uh, mm -hmm. It's not a location. And if it's a location, you'll miss it because you'll keep looking for a bus stop that doesn't exist. And you'll actually not that you waste anything, but you'll just spend more time in that particular classroom. You don't have to do that. Don't don't accept. Don't reject. Don't look away. Uh, don't don't. Uh, the, um, it's as uh, I said earlier in the talk this morning. I think I'm saying now Buddha Dharma without credentials, without any 
merit badge for any no no graduation. We use that metaphor sometimes of provisional teachings and more advanced teachings or emptiness teachings. More. Um, I have another question about the razor's edge. Fine, whichever direction. Um, you were talking about the razor's edge for its cutting edge, and sometimes I know it's been talked about as like a balance, so that the hair's breadth deviation. Yes. I'm wondering um, if you could explain what it means to like walk on the razor's edge. Walking on the razor's edge is when there is no razor. Walking on the razor's edge, we need to say that to, to point to the teachings, but if you actually know what that teachings says, it will, uh, if you actually do it, there won't be any razor, because it's not two. It looks like, it's like two arrows meeting in that air. That's another metaphor for, you're not going to find out what this says. It's completely, what, what word can I use? I need to use a really, really strong Sanskrit word, befuddles. There. It befuddles the ego. It does, it's just befuddling. We, we, can, we can look at that, look at it, and try to find, but it seems to be the effort to try to find our, uh, something about it so that we can find it is the thing that's discouraged. It's disappointing. It's disappointing to meditate and meditate and meditate year after year after year after year and not get anywhere. You know that. It's, it's disappointing. On the other hand, please, don't give up. Keep going no matter what. Uh, the... What you what your ego thinks is getting worse is not necessarily getting worse. We don't know how your particular karma is set up so that you... We don't know how that's set up and we don't know what kind of uh, uh, passages or labyrinths you personally may need to go through. So is there a hair's breadth deviation? Yeah, that's the razor's edge. If you hair's breadth devi deviation means you've chosen a side, you've actually gone somewhere. The, the threat, the razor's edge part is like, I don't want to be on a razor's edge, and that's ego, because it thinks it's something that is so real that it could be divided in half. And then it finds out it can't be caught, and it's, it's seen to be unreal. It's the same thing with you leap, but you, and you fall, and you fall, and you fall, and you never hit bottom. There isn't any bottom. There isn't any leaping either, but that, that will come after, after you enter the department store. Yes. Uh, Junshu has a question. Certainly. She asks, relatively, when we are cutting something, it divides that thing into two pieces. When awareness cuts, does it divide the thing it is cutting? I think the way, it, the way I'm using it here is that the cutting part comes from, from looking deeply, cutting and looking in and cutting and looking in. And, you, you know, there can be a two-ness to the situation. There's going to be. I would just continue to look at it, and eventually you'll find something that can't be cut. This is called uh, the Vajra-like Samadhi, traditionally. It's, it's a diamond. It's the diamond cutter. It's the one that cuts, and it cuts you into smithereens. Can you cut something into smithereens, or does, it, does that mean one smither at a time? Or, it's befuddling. Hmm? It's befuddling. <laughs> So the interesting thing about this is we're using metaphors, we're trying to get them to fit, and I'm getting all this help from you guys. So, you know, we go in and we try to use that, and I think the sharp pipe, the dull knife to the sharp knife is good, and the two, two blades, that's good. But at some point, it just, it, the, the seeing, it just transcends any kind of metaphor. The metaphor is just like 
like uh, picking and choosing is the disease of the mind or riding the razor's edge. You know, it's like, uh, it's like it's, to ego, it's dangerous because it can, it, can, it can destroy your integrity. It can cut you into two pieces, a million pieces. Um, going back to the metaphor of cutting, you, you talked about yes. sharpening the awareness. Yes. Like a razor. So what would be the difference between uh, the sharpness of a razor and the sword of prajna? So I could stretch that metaphor out a little bit and say that the, the razor's edge is just one cutting situation is just that. Uh, um, it's more the practice oriented. It's kind of more of a, a path situation. Whereas the sword of prajna actually is not wielded by anyone unless it's Manjushri. And, but it's also, and it cuts both ways. And you, you might say, well, it can't do it at the same time because it's, well, it does. It cuts both ways at the same time. Even though you have to go, I didn't come up with that image. <laughs> so the idea of cutting there is rather than dividing something, it's more about cutting right into something, seeing deeply down into something. That's how I would view that sort of prajna. And, it, and it's not a person. And when this starts to happen, you'll notice you, that you actually think without a thinker. You feel without a feeler. You smell without a smeller. Sounds silly, but it's like that. It's like there's, there's anything that happens doesn't belong to anybody. And it's, it's so ordinary that you can't even proclaim it. You know, I, I'm not going to wake up Uno in the middle of the night and say, nobody had a dream. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not a big deal. It's just, you just notice that it's just, life is just happening without any, any person that has any territory. Uh, I'm so intensely, especially when I was young, so intensely narcissistic and self-centered that I could, I could never put myself in front of people like I do over and over and over again. I would be so devastated by anyone's negative thoughts about me. And astrologically, for those of you who are astrologers, I know we have four or five hundred astrologers watching, <laughs> all led by Gilgado. Uh, is the, is the, the aspects show uh, kind of, I have aspects for being extremely self-centered, even worse than a Leo. <laughs> Which is pretty bad. <laughs> so the downside of that is, you know, you have all this internal kind of feeling you're somehow really important or really you can't, can't stop thinking about yourself, about how you're doing and are you okay and do people like you and, you know, it's just a very interesting area. You know, fear of being wrong, fear of failing, fear of looking like, a, that's the biggest one, it's fear of looking like a fool. And so, as I've said, you've heard me say in other talks, once you realize you're a fool all the time, nobody can make a fool out of you because you're already a fool. And I'm, I don't mean this uh, figuratively speaking. This is, this is a fool, but it's also empty of everything, empty of the self. When I say I'm, I'm, I'm empty of the self, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm pure. My ego is still just as strong as it ever was. Yes? Um, so, sometimes you say that the anger that you had years ago hasn't gone anywhere. Yes. It's still here, um, but you just don't do anything with it. Is yeah. is that not progress of sorts? Well, I, I don't know. It doesn't feel like it. You can't, you can't get any credential for it. There isn't anyone to credentialize it. So you, you could say there, there's some kind of progress and that there's no more warfare. But, but if you look for that, if you look for a credential, then you actually turn away from the open path that you're on, which goes into... Uh, emptiness or goes into the ultimate nature or absolute truth is going into that, you turn aside and settle for some kind of limited credentials. 
you might you might go there and you might look back and, and see where they might credential uh, mentality might work for people for a while, but not very long. It works for a little while. It helps. Yeah. I'm just trying to get a sense of, of how that works. If, if the anger is still there, um, I guess, I, how is it different from what it used to be? Uh, well, I don't believe it. There's no belief in it. Uh, it's there, but it's just, it's dependently risen, so it can do whatever it wants to do. It doesn't get any... It doesn't get any uh, fuel. You've seen me get angry a few times. Oh, yeah. What do you mean, oh, yeah? (laughs) (laughs) Maria's really cracking up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See, you get mad. What's different about it? Do you see anything? I mean, you want to call it progress? Do you see any progress over here? You've known me for a while. What do you see? I see equanimity. Equanimity? Yeah. Uh, but yeah. not a syrupy sort of thing because I have seen your blazing anger. But it doesn't, yeah. I don't know, it doesn't feel like it's coming out of blame, I guess would be. Or some yeah. kind of... And I don't know what, uh, I, don't, I don't need to know. I don't know what it is. I don't need to know. I just know that... And I say this, can say this, if you want to take one, have one takeaway from this talk, I can tell you what it is. Be genuine. Don't try to be somebody other than who you are. Be, if you're not justifying your anger, and you suddenly get angry, you get jealous, and saying, yes, just be that. I don't say that. I'm just saying, don't, don't fight with anything that comes up. That's the way you're genuine. When you, whatever arises, anger, happiness, depression, uh, any kind of emotional dynamic that you, that you in the past have given a name to, Stop naming it. You don't need that name to credentialize your experience. You can actually just be. You just be, with no explanation, no justification, no 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 uh, validation, and no apologies to anyone about anything. This doesn't mean you would say, "Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I offended you." But you're doing it for them. You're not doing it because you need to be forgiven. If you need to be forgiven for something, then you should really look close at what you at the, uh, the blaming that's going on. Forgiveness is a uh, I'm not saying there aren't times for that to happen, but we need to look really close at what that is. It's, it, it establishes a subtle a re, a self-reference. The next step, step would be punishing murderers. <clears throat> it's like uh, I've, been, I've been saying to people uh, off and on for a while that rather than go off into things out in the world and try to arm wrestle the people who are aiming missiles or drone planes or the politicians to the talk with these people were pretty insane. Uh, rather, you know, train your mind so that so that if you do go into the world, which you will be pulled into it probably one time or another, maybe sooner than later, at least you will be sane. At least you will be working with people who have not trained their mind, and you you're actually present, and you actually are responsible for your feelings, your emotions. You're no longer blaming anybody for anything. It's a very ordinary, pragmatic situation to be in. This is what blame looks like. Yes. Questions on Zoom? Kozambai. Yes. You say to be genuine, and then you also say a lot, don't add, subtract, or look away. No. And those things seem like they would be genuine. So how can you not add and be genuine at the same time? Keep working at it. Just keep working at it. Everyone, you, you can't. It's difficult to teach. 
uh, point to an ultimate understanding with a relative uh, situation and, and, and human beings' tendency to grab onto things and reject other things and shut down on other things. You ha we have to really bring our awareness into that. And then you'll see that your, you know, for me or for you or for anyone, your, my area of working with that is to stop fighting with my self-consciousness. My self-consciousness. Yours might be to stop uh, uh, being too concerned about your jealousy, or be, be or stop being concerned about your anxiety, or stop being concerned about your depression. You're depressed. Be depressed. And you might say you probably are saying you could say you'll probably write me an email and say yeah easy for you to say you're not the one who's depressed. But I, I couldn't say that to you if I hadn't had some difficulty, and perhaps I'm even still having difficulty. <clears throat> there's, there's just a fundamental willingness to not not object or agree or look away from anything anymore. Done doing that, that that stage of your human humanity is over with. And that doesn't mean you won't have negative feelings coming up, positive feelings coming up, negative positive. Negative. It's called in the Tibetan tradition. It's called coemergent wisdom. Coemergent wisdom means your craziness, your insanity, your difficulty, and your wisdom mind come up together. They, they emerge together. They come up together. Why? Not separate. The very thing you're trying to get rid of is not separate from your wisdom mind. It is your wisdom mind because it's what? Not to perception only. Yes, Gilgado. Um. In sharpening the sword of awareness on the cushion, I've heard it talked about as um, allowing you to see precisely, or there's a precision involved in this clear seeing. What does that exactly mean? Um, <coughs> Paraphrase your question, please. Can you paraphrase it? I'm working on it. Okay. Um, is... Um, what is meant by um, precise seeing? Very good, thank you. Very good. Precise seeing means that you actually see uh, everything at once. You see the negativity, you see the positivity, you see the concepts, you see the lack of concepts, you see the warfare, you see the tension, you see the relaxation. There isn't anything you don't see. You don't accept it, you don't, you don't uh, disagree with it, and you don't shut down on it. It's very, very clear. And when you see it, you'll see that it's also not separate. And you'll see that it's also perception only. Just a perception. There's not a solid otherness there. There's not a, so a solid a subjectivity there. There's just this. And it just, the, the, the illusion is that there's this separated world that we're all dumped into and we're all struggling for a position, trying to get ahead, trying to get behind, <coughs> keep from going behind. <coughs> More? you have a further uh, question on that? Is this uh, the same as uh, realization? Is what the same as realization? Seeing precisely, being with precision. I think it's, I think it's close. Fundamentally, fundamental realization, we wouldn't see much. So it's still, there's still a path quality to you. still that, working with it that way. Once, once, uh, once one has, uh, <clears throat> just to use that word, once one has realized, or you realize that you're not separate from anything, and there isn't anything to do, because you're no longer at war with anything, and so then anything that happens is not separate. So then you could get mad, 
you could get sad, you could get anxious, you could get you could, you could anything could happen, and you could also uh, just function with everything and be and there'd be a sense of not I'm not talking about some kind of silly kind of uh, airy fairy happiness that you're running around with rainbows coming out of your ears, you know. But I'm saying it's just a, a fundamental. Uh, Trump used the, the word basic goodness. Everything is basically good. Even in the midst of really difficult confusion, you can't get rid of the confusion. You can't fight with the confusion because that's more warfare. You just you just include it. Not easy when, when of course, there's been century after century of building up to this kind of uh, terrible world scene right now where a small percentage of human beings are totally insane and quite a few of them are in charge. And then there's lots of people who are just trying to feed their kids. Maria Belling. <clears throat> yes, Maria. You, um, you said during the morning talk, um, don't land on anything, uh, fall apart, fall apart. Does it apply to the perception during the practice on, on the cushion? Um, yes, you may, you may work with it there. <clears throat> meditation, post-meditation, at some point in your activity, non-activity as a meditator, at some point the boundary, the line between meditation practice and post-meditation, getting up off the cushion, living your life, at some point that boundary just disappears. That doesn't mean you're walking around in a trance, and it doesn't mean you're doing cartwheels on your cushion. It just means that the boundary between those two are, uh, is, is just not there anymore. So the, the contrast between sitting for two or three hours even looking at the wall or going out in, in the, into the kitchen or going out and, uh, and making some, uh, preparing food or, or um, doing laundry or, or something just mundane or going to a, a movie or going to dinner with friends or sitting on the cushion. It's just, you know, there's no, they're not different from each other. Our preconceptions about what that would be like uh, tend to get in the way of what it's actually like. Maria Belling, so during the practice of meditation, if I land on something, it means this is like the first step to, to develop concept. What comes to me is that sometimes I'm observing the texture. Yes. And, uh, and out of observing the texture of something, I see the process of thinking about this. And, yes. Uh, is this the landing, which this is what you are calling the landing? Uh, That's what I'm calling awareness. So uh, what, what you're seeing as a landing, I'm seeing as awareness. So the way, the, when, when I say don't land on anything, I'm not saying don't land on anything. I'm saying don't land on anything. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that clear? <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm, saying, I'm not saying don't land on anything. I'm saying don't land on anything. I don't know how else to say it than that. And, and when, when that happens, you'll see that there's a landing and a not landing. The landing is the physical kind of landing or phenomenological situation, ontological, if you want to use the fancy word, situation, something is there. But then the awareness doesn't do anything. And it looks like it's dividing when actually it's not to perception only. And it collapses into itself, to, just to use a, a relative kind of a metaphor. You actually, that's why you can be genuine. That's why you can be, that's why they, some, uh, in the Tibetan tradition, they call it the crazy wisdom form of the Buddhas of the three times. Dorje Trolo, Karapakshi, and just using two great teachers of the past who 
who understood this and taught it. And it's crazy because when ego looks at it, it's, this is nuts. When ego looks at that, it, it, it looks crazy. Or when it looks, when, when ego or self-centered mind looks at someone functioning in this way who is totally genuine, it wants to blame or find fault or they did it with my teacher, both of my teachers they did, more, more so with Trump or Rinpoche, who was more ostentatious and outrageous. But what a teacher. His, his, uh, his students are all over the place. Most of them are invisible because they're, they're living. They're just living. They're fulfilling their karma, you could say. And do I, how do I know that? I don't know. I'm kind of shocked that I'm sitting here. Gary Baldwin? Yes, Gary. I've been thinking about the idea of gaining, and there's a sense every time I sit down and meditate that uh, I'm getting somewhere. Yeah. Even though, even though I know there's nowhere to get, it's like uh, sitting on a treadmill. Every time I sit down, there's nowhere to get except right there, but there's a sense that you want to get somewhere. Yes. Well, how can we work with that? It's sort of aggravating, actually. You're doing it. That's how it feels. It's aggravating. That's right up my alley. Aggravating, sit, 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 aggravating, 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 aggravating. Sitting with aggravation. There's a talk title. <laughs> Aggravated sitting. So do it anyway. And the great thing about it is you're doing it, but think it would be without a teaching, without a teacher, without a sangha, without a form, without a structure, it'd be really difficult to keep going. It'd be difficult. Really. And if you have any, quite often people, I, I've noticed, uh, not several, but, but a few people who have been students of mine, as soon as they run into a diff, they're, they're, it's like everybody, not everybody, but some people are looking for a way out. And if they find something strong enough, that, oh my goodness, finally I can get out of here. They're not saying that because they actually think they found something wrong with something. So they go another direction. I say, don't do, there's no way you can know what this is. We can't, we can't really know what this is. You know what it does? It gets bright in the daytime and dark at night. Everything else is extra. So what you, the downside of what you're saying is, uh, I feel this. I understand what it's like to, to do this and feel agitated and aggravated. And just it's just irritating to sit and sit. And with the self-centered mind, to keep looking for some kind of result, some kind of progress on the path. And there are a lot of teachers that are willing to give you all kinds of things that show progress on the path. I prefer not to do that. I didn't get any of it. My teachers, none of my, neither one of my teachers uh, spoon-fed me anything. Or, you know, it'll be okay. The most I got was a little bit of encouragement. Not a lot, but it was enough. And I would say, just keep going. Hi, Felita. There, there seems to be, I, I guess, more <laughs> insulin. <laughs> she what? She just heard you. I oh. Think she said. <laughs> Go ahead, Gary. Uh, sorry, thank you. Um, the idea of getting getting somewhere, I guess, as you sit down, is the uh, gaining insight in yourself, the gaining portion, as you look and look and look and see how you're crazy. Uh, I don't know if that's an, uh, identified as gaining, but it's more of an understanding of yourself, I guess, the way to determine it. Is that, I guess, is that gaining as you meditate? No, I think what you're, it doesn't sound like you're, you're, it doesn't sound like you're fixating on that. It sounds like it's just a feeling of uh, changes and a feeling of contrast going on. So the idea is just to keep going. It, it, will, it will, nothing lasts. So as you watch, anything you watch, if you, if you're, if it starts, if it lasts, you're probably fiddling with it. 
I mean, you're pushing it, pulling it, or looking away, but if, if it just starts to fade off, like a credential will come up and you don't do anything with it, just look at the credential, then it'll go away. And the next day you'll feel like crap again. Welcome to my world. And when I say that, it's your world. It's just welcome to our world. This is our world. We have to, if we don't do this, but uh, the only other options we have is to go to war with everything or be confused or believe in a bunch of people's opinions about things. I'm doing the best I can to teach as free as, of opinions as I can and to empower, uh, if you want to say it that way, empower all of you to realize what this is for yourself. It may not look like it does for me. All I know is I'm, I'm completely confident about this because it's coming out of a place that there, that there is, there's no reference points there. I feel, I feel very, very good when I reflect on this, and I feel how how uh, lucky we all are to to meet uh, at this, especially closing now this part of my life that's coming to an end. I'm old, you guys are young, but I'm just saying I feel very lucky to be given the opportunity to to talk to a few people about this because it's so important, and it's it's not easy to find this. There, there are places where Buddhism and meditation and everything, they're, they're, not, they're not doing, they're not wrong. They're just a just different level. This is what you're hearing now is the ultimate. Uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not bragging about it. I'm, I'm teaching higher teaching than anybody. I'm just saying I'm pointing at it, at what it, what it is you need to realize. If you need to realize this, Buddhism is kind of, uh, it's just a form. It's just a pretty good form. Real good one. It's a, it's a way to communicate this kind of understanding to others using forms that that don't necessarily interfere with our with our our confusion or with our path or with what we may have to go through. Further questions? Any questions here, Ms. Zendo? Maria Bang. Yes. Um, you said this morning that the intent of the um, of Sangha is to be truthful. What does it mean to be truthful? Um, so insofar as we can to not look away from anything that arises insofar as we can and don't don't necessarily go into something uh, with uh, uh, with ideas about it actually receive things the way they are in their pristine nature so you never not really know what's coming towards us if we if we have a realization about it, then we know that it's uh, that, that we're really not separate from it, no matter how weird or foreign it looks. So sometimes things uh, uh, things look like they're not true. You should really look if you're if you're into not true or true, either one of those. You really need to look closely at it. That may be uh, not such a satisfactory response, but you know, that's what came up. Kozan's yawning, <laughs> so I, I have to have to crank it up a little bit, <laughs> keep everybody awake. <laughs> yes. Could you explain again what co-emergent wisdom means? Can. So co-emergent, same co-emergent. There's another name for that, a Tibetan name, and I can't recall what it is, but it's a uh, it's co-emergent. So it's it's the, the, the craziness, the confusion, the dismay, the distress, the anxiety, and all that, and your wisdom, your complete clarity come up together. Co co 
they 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 come out of you, or they come toward you. It emerges, and you see not two, not two. The subject and the object have collapsed into each other. All of the polarities have collapsed, and everything is, uh, is at rest. Even in the middle of very very extreme difficulty, where you know, where you can look at what's happening in the world and get really upset about whatever, those things are part of that. This doesn't necessarily make you or anybody else, me or anyone else, a pacifist. I don't have any position like, like you know, don't go to war or don't, don't, I might say, don't go to war, but I also know that you can't help it. The very nature of ego or self-centeredness is some kind of war, either your own little internal war or the war that you finally put out in the world and you go to war with the world and then depending on your karma, you might even get other people to join you and go, that's the whole thing around nationality. It works for a while until it, until it starts to blow up and people start to take over the situation who are, uh, what do they call them? That's who they know. Oligarchs. Oligarchs, is that it? So co-emergent. So we're no longer trying to separate the difficulty and just get the good stuff. We're actually, there's a willingness to just allow things to be what they are. It's like this little motto on the banner here says, as it is, just as it is, whatever it is, it can't last or whatever is rising. It doesn't mean that if you go with this as it is, just as it is, it doesn't mean you're validating this. It doesn't mean that you're somehow, you know, well, that's not really the truth there. That's, uh, why would I say as it is to that? Because that's not feeling so good. I feel terrible. Oh, I can't even say as it is. You could say, uh, I could say, you know, you'd have to change my my name from as it is mountain to as it will be mountain, as it will be later on mountain. Dr. Obama, if there is co-emergent wisdom, is this precise seeing? You could say that. You could say that it's just very clear. It's clear about everything. It's clear that everything, the, the positive, negative, neutral, is, none of that is separate. We can't have positive without negative. That's the philosophical, conceptual part of it. To realize that is to actually go beyond it and not even know about those, not, not really hang on to those terms. You don't, you're not validating anything. You're actually living in the reality that you once studied, that you once read in the uh, books, that you once studied and you once thought about and reflected on. You're, you're living in it. And then you may you may meditate, you may continue to meditate, you may not. You may continue to sit down in front of the wall maybe the rest of your life. You may just do it because that's what you do. Or you may not. Yes. So would co-emergent wisdom could it also be described as dependently arisen? Uh, the way it's talked about the way it's being said there, co-emergent, there's a dependent quality to it. But once that is, once we you see what has been pointed at, then then the dependency is gone. It's not separate. There isn't anything for it to be dependent, be dependent on. But, it, but we won't. Let's say it this way: we won't see it unless we stop this uh, internecine warfare in our emotions, our ideas, and our hopes and dreams and wishes, back and forth, back and forth, trying to get somewhere. Virtual materialism. There, there needs to be uh, just a fundamental thing. You could call it. Surrender, maybe. I don't don't care to use that word too much. You could see it just don't I mean be here and watch the positive, watch the negative, positive, negative, positive, negative, and don't don't uh, jump ship and don't don't abandon it or go somewhere else or stop looking or 
that's for the Oreos. Those are mountains, the Oreo mountains, aren't they? And so, you know, I think each, each person may, because of your, whoever's listening to this, because of your particular karma, your causes and conditions, the way your, the way your setup is as far as being born and all the things that you've had to deal with in your life, whatever you're dealing with right now, including when you sit in front of the cushion like Gary was talking about, you just, you know, aggravated by it or just irritated by the whole thing. This is, that's, that's your dharma. That's your dharma gate. Whatever's showing up in your mind is your dharma gate. Please, do, just just don't don't accept it, don't reject it, don't look away. Those are the three poisons. That's a lot. That's a lot to ask of anybody. Don't accept what's happening to you. Don't reject what's happening to you. And don't shut down on it. Where does that put you? Right here. And it's a practice. So you practice it, you practice it, you practice it until you, you find that if you're just right here, there isn't anyone. It's only when there's, uh, when there's someone who doesn't like it, someone who likes it, and someone who uh, is uh, oblivious to it, that there's there's someone who's having all that. But when you when you turn off the turn off the gas to all of those, so there, there is, you need that kind of uh, pushing and pulling and relative uh, um, spinning around in order to maintain uh, a feeling of there is someone. But when that starts to slow down, then the consciousness is might be concerned. The seventh consciousness starts to be worried that, you know, maybe it needs protecting. So we come bring along concepts and ideas and judgments. And, or we might even change our direction. Well, I don't like, uh, you know, I don't like the way they do this at that sangha or this. Or I don't care for that teacher anymore because he, she, they started doing this or did that. We, we all see it. Those of you who, who are here, they can see that. And it might be a dramatic thing that happened. It might be might be just we just don't hear from that person anymore. That doesn't mean they're wrong, but that could mean that they just wasn't their time to sit down and, like Gary's doing, sit down. No compliment for you, Gary, by the way. But like Gary's doing, just sit down every morning and uh, and look look at the wall. It seems necessary to do that in order to see what is happening. See coemergence. See so that you understand what that is. So you can come and tell me what that or someone else possibly who might need some help. Any further questions there from uh, anyone here in the, in the Zendo? Any questions? You guys all look very knowledgeable. <laughs> Let's see. Kozama, any questions? Kozama, yeah. Okay. You said, um, um, you say don't accept, don't reject, don't look away. And off the cushion, if we're in the middle of our lives and there's something that's... Um, Needing us, or we're just lost in something. How can we even do that on purpose? I, I think we can't. But, but realizing that you can't is how it's done. You just you can't do that. You can't you can't help but grasp. You can't help but reject. You can't help but shut down. Continue to do it anyway. And you know we have to we have to kind of uh, I don't know if you call it sneak up on it, but we have to we have to just keep working with it. We don't give up because it's so easy to just say oh I'm going to just bail. I'm just going to. I'm going to join a bridge club, you know, the hell with this meditation stuff. You know, this is especially difficult with our culture because we don't have anybody around our culture that, telling us what, what we're doing here is valuable or we don't have, even we have to even kind of explain to our mother, father, sister, brother, spouse, kids, um, the society, you know, what, we're doing this and, uh, and we think this is valuable. Why would you want to do that? Turn into a vegetable. 
That's why we have asparagus house for vegetables. <laughs> so uh, it's just a matter of continuing. And, and you know, each, this is why Sangha is valuable because you'll see the interacting with other people and be able to talk to them about it. And I'm not saying you talk, every, say everything about your practice. It's good to keep some of that to yourself, maybe most of it. But to see that other people are going through similar things that maybe that you're going through on a, maybe a different level, a different place, uh, seems to be helpful to see that. It certainly has been for me. Sangha has been, in some ways, maybe even more important. I mean, once you have the teacher, then you really need to look for the Sangha. Because the teacher won't be here for a long time, forever. But the Sangha will be. Thank you very much. Thank you all so much for joining us for our first ever virtual retreat. Uh, we're going to uh, stand and dedicate the merit, and I also want to continue to invite feedback, so uh, we'd like to continue to do this in the future. We had a really great turnout today, so any feed feedback you have would be uh, greatly appreciated. Thank you. May the merit of this penetrate into all places so that we and every sentient being together can realize the Buddha's way. and visitors, to everyone who is unhappy, sick, or suffering, and fill them with light. 